You know all those Apple and other IoT devices connected to your Wi-Fi network? Lots of them are running apps that discover services on your network via multicast DNS. All of that MDNS traffic can have real, measurable, and surprisingly significant impact on your Wi-Fi LAN's performance. Someone who's done just such measuring is Brian Ward. Brian is the lead network engineer at Dartmouth College, a sizable institution of higher learning in the United States. Brian got permission to perform testing on a production segment to see what would happen if he let MDNS traffic run wild. Uh, So, Brian, welcome to Heavy Networking. Hey, thanks, Ethan. Thanks for having me back. Um, Yeah, I I did do some experiments with MDNS on a production network because, you know, Not everybody has a separate lab network. Um, And I was able to collect a ton of data. We'll talk about that. And I presented it uh, originally at the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference in Phoenix uh, this year, 2023. So in case you've heard some of this before, you were probably an attendee there or you watched the YouTube video. Uh, If you haven't seen it already and you want to see what the original presentation looked like, as well as the slide deck, uh, you can get that info on my website, brianward.net slash go slash mdns that's b-r-y-a-n-w-a-r-d excellent uh, i both went through the slide deck that's actually how i found your presentation to begin with brian because uh, i'm subscribed to your blog uh and then i went through the deck i'm like this is cool and then i went to the talk uh, over on youtube watch that they rushed you through that talk man they uh they did not give you nearly enough time to go through all of that stuff <laughs> Yeah. So uh, the way the WLPC conference works is uh, you toss your name in the hat for a topic you want to speak about, and then all the attendees get to vote for what they want to hear about. And then the people with the most votes get the most amount of time. The people with fewer votes get less time. Um, And I guess I was in that fewer votes category, but still uh, very honored and very excited to be able to present there. Well, maybe we can get into some more detail today. So let's start at the beginning, Brian. What is multicast DNS? And give us some examples of what it's used for. So multicast DNS uh, comes from RFC 6762. Uh, It was originally invented as a way of running the old 1980s Apple Talk name binding protocol, you know, from back before Ethernet was a thing. Um, It it was a way of kind of running that over a TCP IP network. a lot of folks are probably familiar with it. It's got some a couple of other markety names like Bonjour. Uh, it was called Rendezvous for a while. Uh, if you have ever seen uh, a Linux machine boot up, you might have seen the Avahi daemon starting and wonder what's that all about, and then promptly forget about it ten seconds later. So it's it's a way of resolving host names without a central DNS server. The way it works is the Operating system you're running, if it's got this technology enabled, sends a multicast message out on the network, essentially a broadcast because it's querying the entire segment, saying, hey, I'm looking for this name. Does anybody have it? And if a device owns that name, it should respond. It's almost like ARP. It's really great in a home network. This is one of the technologies that makes things just magically work on your network. You You turn on a new printer or a new smart TV. And next thing you know, your smartphone is able to find it or automatically discover it and say, hey, I found a printer on your network. Would you like to print? Well, that's because of MDNS. MDNS is announcing not only host names, but there's also a a layer on top of it called DNS Service Discovery, uh, RFC 6763, the very next one. Uh, And that is where 
devices can announce the services that they support in addition to just name resolution. So name so and and that feels like the primary use case why I'm using MDNS and the, what I really think of when I think of MDNS is is service discovery. That's that's the main use case there. I can query for services. I can, but I as a as a someone who has a service to offer, I can also announce that service, right? Yes, that that's correct. So if if you're offering a service, you can periodically announce it over the network in addition to respond to responding to queries for those services. Okay. So another point you mentioned there, this doesn't have much to do with M, uh, MDNS does not have much to do with domain name servers that I might be running traditionally where I have DNS servers that are configured in my IP stack. And I go to that DNS server and say, Hey, I got this host name. What's the IP address? And it does name resolution for you either locally or via recursion, what have you. Is there any connection here between MDNS and that traditional, what we think of as DNS services? There's no direct connection between the two. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some traditional DNS server products out there that could also participate in MDNS, though I've never really had hands-on experience with them. Uh, in your home network, uh, unless you know you're you're like me and running a DNS server locally in your basement, you're going to be using MDNS to discover your local devices. You're not going to register you know, myprinter.myhomenetwork.com with some domain registrar, it's just going to be announced over MDNS. So devices, uh, like client devices like Windows, Mac, Linux can discover these names and resolve them without actually having a proper DNS server exist on your network. Okay. Uh, another thing that comes to mind is layer two versus layer three. We're talking multicast announcements here and uh, queries being done. And that is typically contained to a local segment, to a layer two a broadcast domain, unless you've got some kind of multicast tree that you're building. Um, now, you said this works great in a home network, and most home networks are flat. They've got one broadcast domain, that's it. There's not too many of us that are running routed uh, networks at home. But if I was dealing with a routed segment, how does MDNS fit in there? Yeah, so in in a, a larger network with multiple multiple VLANs, multiple subnets, the MDNS traffic should stay local to that subnet. Uh, if you read the multicast specification, the i the IP block that MDNS has an IP address in, uh, the network control block, uh, local network control block rather, um, is supposed to have a TTL value of one. So even if you're running in a, a more complex routed environment, MDNS announcements and queries should not go past your that local subnet, be it a, an IPv4 or a v6 subnet. MDNS does write on both. Um, now, unfortunately, in my testing and my probing and packet capturing, I've noticed that a lot of devices, they have their TTL set to 255. Instead of instead of one for these MDNS packets, so in a in a routed network, you could potentially have MDNS traffic from one segment leak over and be routed into all other segments if you've got your multicast routing poorly configured. Yeah, I was going to say that'd be a configuration thing right there if you did that because yes. by default that wouldn't be the the behavior. It should stop at that hop unless there was some known place you're supposed to send it to. Yeah, okay. Uh, but so the, the TTL of one is what you're supposed to have on MDNS. 
per per the RFCs. But you're saying you've seen in the wild TTL of uh, other values, including 255. Including 255, yeah. I mean, RFCs, as we all know, they're just you know, best practice, best guidance, and none of the manufacturers actually follow them. <laughs> Oh, that's not the way it's supposed to work, Brian. It is supposed to work no. that you conform to the the uh, the RFC. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So this in mind, we've got uh, let's say typical scenario: home network, lots of services being searched for and being announced. I've got lots of Apple things on my network at home, for for example, Brian, um, and I've got a pretty good sized uh, Wi-Fi. Now I got four APs scattered around to cover different corners that I want it covered. Is MDNS a special concern for me, especially on my uh, my wireless LAN and maybe not such a big deal for my wired? So the constraint, well, one of the constraints about running a wireless network is airtime. You know, it, it is a single shared resource with all of your clients, all of your access points. And especially in a, a consumer market when you you know you you got multiple physical neighbors that you're dealing with it it's a shared resource for all of your all the neighbors devices uh, so unfortunately home networks don't do any sort of multicast broadcast filtering it's just whatever's on the wire goes out into the air uh, and with a lot of people buying you know wireless range extenders and repeaters and mesh devices the 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 MDNS traffic is going to be rebroadcast multiple times. So on your home network, it's the the convenience of MDNS often outweighs the performance benefit. But if you've got a ton of devices all speaking MDNS, it might actually impact your network performance. Similarly, if your neighbors' networks are all announcing MDNS traffic. They're still using up airtime, even though they're not a part of your specific network. So, so airtime is the issue. And you've mentioned the typical home network does not filter MDNS. By filter, do you mean do treat multicast frames uh, with, with intention? That is, oh, you're multicast. I'm not going to send you unless I have somewhere I know I need to send you, like, like IGMP would give you, something like that. Is that what you mean? They're just treating it? Oh, multicast might as well be a broadcast. And if I see this, I got to repeat it everywhere. Yeah. So when I say filtering, I either mean some sort of intelligent routing uh, or intelligent forwarding or just blocking it entirely. If you were to block MDNS on a home network, you're going to end up ruining all of the features of your consumer grade devices. So on a home network, I wouldn't recommend blocking it, but more trying to limit it to what is actually needed if possible. Limit to what is yeah. needed if possible. Assuming you've got any of those controls uh, within what you've uh, got. Yeah. Yes. Assume assuming your consumer grade equipment has those options. Assuming you've got control of your client devices. Um, you know, best practice if if it doesn't need to be on wireless, plug a wire into it. You know, if if you've got a house with 17 Chromecasts, you might want to invest in the Ethernet adapters for them. Or, you know, pick a better product. <laughs> Now, as I was reading through your presentation, doing some homework here, uh, one of the things I noticed was uh, you have multicast treated as a broadcast, like we were describing earlier, somewhat unintelligently. But more intelligent devices can do multiple unicasts of multicast frames in a wireless network. 
I don't know if that's more intelligent or this is a different way of handling it, but can you explain the distinction here? What's going on and the, uh, the impact to airtime? Yeah, so uh, some wireless, uh, wireless LAN Wi-Fi access points can do what's called multicast to unicast, where it's similar to IGMP snooping on a wired switch. The access point will keep track of which associated Wi-Fi clients are expecting to receive certain multicast traffic. And then the access point can then intelligently forward only the multicast frames to only the clients that are desiring them. The problem is if you have more than, uh, say, a handful of clients on the same access point, associated to the same access point, that are, what's the word, enrolled in, or participating in that multicast group, then the access point is going to forward that frame out unicast multiple times, one to each client. So when you're calculating airtime, multicast can actually be faster doing an over-the-air multicast because then more than one client can hear it at the same time versus unicast to multiple clients. You have to wait for each of those unicast frames to be sent and acknowledged. Right, right. If you have, uh, if you send it as a multicast, anyone that participates and is interested in that multicast frame can grab it the one time it's sent in the air. They can all hear it and, and react to it versus mm. four times you got to be on the air if there's like four clients, let's say, that want to receive that and are being direct, having it sent to them as a unicast instead. So you would, yeah. uh, you'd be impacting your airtime negatively in that scenario. Huh, fascinating. Now you said it's IGMP-like that that sort of a function so does that mean mdns i'm uh if i was running igmp it doesn't behave that way where i have clients that say oh i want to participate in this group oh you do okay now you're in the group and igmp notes that and says okay this port's got to get this traffic because we have a client listener on the end of it is it does it not work like that uh it should if your devices are supporting igmp snooping then the client devices that want to participate in mdns should announce, hey, I'm interested in this multicast traffic. Okay. Uh, on your home net, on a home network, though, you typically don't have IGMP snooping in your switches and access points, though. I've been running a ubiquity switch, and it's got a ton of features that uh, I know I can get into if I want to dig under the covers a little bit. Uh, I I bet that's there. I bet they've got IGMP uh, snooping it might under be. the hood. Uh, I just haven't haven't dug. I've because it just works. I've haven't really messed with it that much, but I, I wonder if yeah. that might be there since I spent a little more to get uh, a prosumer, let's if you will, uh, at the house. And, and and I think that's a good point to bring up is that if your network is working just fine without having dug into MDNS optimization and filtering, then you probably don't need to touch anything. But I've run into several scenarios where at enterprise scale, if MDNS is just running wild, as you as you mentioned, then yeah, that traffic is just going to eat up all the airtime in the network. You know, the, the more clients you have, it, it grows almost exponentially. Well, I guess that really gets down to your test, doesn't it? And uh, the testing that you did demonstrate this, and this is this is a big part of the reason I followed up with you when uh, when I read through your presentation. Uh, honestly, what you found in your test blew me away of the amount of the, the huge impact that MDNS was having on the segment that you tested. So 
don't you describe for everybody the, uh, the the test? What was the baseline of it? Like how many clients and what kind of clients were they, the number of APs and and so on? So we can get a sense of the environment you were testing in. Yeah. So the, the environment I was I, I did this test in uh, was at the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth. Uh, they graciously agreed to participate and be the uh, the guinea pig or the lab rat uh, for uh, for this this probing and packet capturing that I did. Um, it's a the engineering school consists of three buildings uh, over four hundred thousand square feet. We run two SSIDs on our production network. We had about fifteen hundred clients at the time of this test. Uh, you know, normal client count varies anywhere between one thousand and two thousand. Uh, for that site on a given day. So kind of right right in the middle average usage for what that building's, th- those three buildings network is. And I ran this test for an hour. So from 1230 to 1.30. So I, I kind of caught the tail end of a, a couple of classes, the lunch rush, and the start of a couple of classes after lunch. So a really good sample of the peak traffic of that network. Did, did you mention the number of APs, Brian? You've got uh, sorry. Uh, we had 408 APs uh, online at the time of the test. 408 APs so, uh, servicing 15, about 300,000 yep. square feet and 1,500 clients. Roughly even distribution across those 408 APs. Um, in terms of clients to APs, uh, yeah. not really, because it, it, it depends on where the clients were at the time. If they were all in a lecture hall, you might have an AP that had, you know, 20 or 30 devices associated. You know, the AP at the end of the hallway probably had nobody. But you don't, but but you've got enough APs that you that no one, no single AP is going to be getting clobbered with clients. There's going to be Correct. plenty of, uh, of airtime per AP, if you will. I know, you know, APs are going to be colliding with each other for airtime in some cases, but yeah. Okay. So this is, this is what I would, you know, quite a robust uh, environment, really, really significant. 1,500 clients, 400 plus APs over a very large, um, 300,000 square feet is a lot of square feet you're covering. And you said this was like middle of the day. So this would be a, t- a typical traffic load, I think you would say, right? Yeah, the, this it was a typical traffic load based on trending from prior days and weeks. Uh, this is... This is the time period I picked because it did actually have the peak traffic. So I wanted to see what this impact would be kind of at the worst case scenario, the most client devices associated, the most megabits per second being thrown through the routers. And do you allow people at Dartmouth to like do video streaming and all the normal internet kind of stuff or are you more uh, picky? So we we pretty much allow everything. Um, we we block what's called peer-to-peer or client-to-client traffic. So this isn't like Napster or Kazaa peer-to-peer. It's you know my iPhone to your iPhone. So we don't right. we don't allow one client device to talk to another. And this MDNS traffic is part of the reason why we filter that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so what? Is there any other filtering or whatever that uh, is normally being done that you turned off as a function of the test? Uh, the the filtering that was changed was, um, again, this peer-to-peer traffic uh, and the access points we're using actually have a separate filter for broadcast and multicast traffic. So we're we're running our Wi-Fi almost like a service provider network. We don't want one customer to be able to directly access another customer. 
And so then you turn the filters off. Is that the more or less the test? Yep, I turned the filters off. It was literally two checkboxes in the configuration of the, the Wi-Fi system. And I did a before, during, and after packet capture, some spectrum capture, and figured out, all right, if we're allowing all this traffic as you would on a home network, what's the impact? All right, so walk us through, uh, <laughs> well, you got to tell us about the packet capture first, because that's an astonishing amount of uh, traffic that you had to capture, and you hit some limits there. Yeah. So in addition to the, the 400 plus APs, uh, I had 27 uh, layer two switches that I was also capturing traffic from. And if you're familiar with ER span, encapsulated remote span, it's like doing a, a switch port mirror, but tunneling it over uh, an IP tunnel back to a central server. So I was able to snag some compute and some memory and uh, some high-speed network storage uh, from our research computing team. Uh, and with a 24-core, half a terabyte of RAM and five terabytes of high-speed disk storage, uh, I was able to capture over half a million frames okay. in a one-hour period. Um, it's a lot of data, took a lot of time to process. Uh, I learned the hard way that Wireshark is not only single threaded, but it also has a limit of 53 million frames per file. So <laughs> I captured all this traffic and then ended up having to slice and dice the PCAP files just in order to load them and process them. Oh my, okay. So we ended up with half a, half a billion uh, packets that you got, got half hold a billion. of. All right. And uh, and then start um, summarizing the the results. You know, if you could kind of summarize at a high level, what was the experience during the test at the uh, you said the Fairley School of Engineering, the the Thayer School of Engineering. Thayer, Thayer. There we go. Yeah. So I I think the one of the the quotes that I got from from someone on site was, uh, "I'm glad you only tested for an hour." <laughs> uh, as, as I had mentioned, uh, I, I wanted to run the test for a whole day just so I can say, hey, this is what it looks like on a Tuesday with the traffic allowed. This is a Tuesday with the traffic blocked and get a complete comparison. Um, but I, I figured that an hour showed the results pretty clearly. Um, a, a lot of folks had noticed some impact on just their normal day-to-day -day behavior. Uh, I made sure like nobody was taking advantage of this and doing things that they wouldn't normally do on the network. It's like, hey, we've opened up the floodgates. Let's start doing a ton of peer-to-peer -peer file transfers. No, it was just the normal classes, Zoom calls, just your basic run-of-the-mill traffic for that site. Um, I myself was impacted. As, as soon as I unchecked those checkboxes and hit save, um, I was actually unable to access the wireless interface of the sensor devices that I had scattered around. So, so unable to, as in just unable the throughput to. of the network was impacted so badly by the MDNS traffic that was now going through. The network was suffering from congestion. You were struggling to get enough airtime, or 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 was the wired network impacted as well? The wired network was doing just fine. It really ended up being the the wireless airtime. Um, you know, it, the the symptom from a user perspective was, you know, I go to a web page to access the management of this device, and the browser's just sitting there spinning. 
like it's it's trying to connect, but it's not getting replies or it's not getting them in a, a timely fashion and it's giving up and it's retrying. Yeah. Uh, classic textbook network congestion. Yeah. Latency and packet loss, it sounds like on the network at this point. Yes, yeah. okay. de definitely latency, packet loss, the throughput plummeted. Um, and it wasn't just me, plenty of other users. You know, I, I, I overheard some people sitting in the, the atrium of the building like, you know, I'm on a Zoom call. Oh man, I'm having Wi-Fi trouble today. Sorry. You know, the, the typical, your network connection is unstable, messages popping up. Uh, some sysadmins were having trouble with their remote desktop connections. Um, VPN applications were just disconnecting because the, the UDP tunnels were assuming that they had gotten disconnected because of timeouts. Well, how much of the airtime was being taken up by MDNS traffic then? Uh, taken up by the MDNS traffic? Um, let me, I'm, I'm referring to my slides here. I think it was about 75% of all packets were MDNS. <laughs> and, and the network was busy, you know, 75, the as a network percentage, was very was, busy. Yeah. So 75% of a very busy network and it's all MDNS. Yikes. Uh, and so these, and what, what was the nature of the MDNS traffic? Was it, was it a lot of Apple devices or just, just everything? Certainly a lot of Apple devices, but it's, it was really just everything. Um, MDNS is very popularly associated with Apple because they do make heavy use of it with their products, but windows devices, Android devices, uh, Amazon echo devices, they all speak MDNS. So this, this is interesting. Um, now, one of your observations was if you were to leave MDNS traffic running, let's say you could even get it to a point where the network was usable, there's some other impacts like uh, like battery life. Can you explain that one? Yeah. So the way wireless clients work is they use battery power, assuming they're running on a battery. Uh, and every time a wireless frame is received, the device has to listen for it receive it, process it, and then determine, do I care about this traffic or not? Uh, it's it's the same as any wired client on an ethernet network. If a, if a frame comes into the wired NIC on your, your desktop, the NIC or the, the driver or the operating system is gonna say, hey, I just received a frame. Does it match my subnet mask? If it does, is the destination IP one that I'm listening for? And if all that matches, it's gonna forward it up the stack to the application. The problem is, even if your client doesn't care about the traffic, it still has to do all that processing and filtering and say, hey, do I even care about this traffic? So client devices, they're, they're going to be woken up from their low power battery save state just to receive all this garbage traffic. Now, I'm, I'm not saying like, hey, you know, you put your phone into battery saver mode, but when the phone determines that its network is pretty much idle, it's going to put that Wi-Fi chip into a low power state kind of behind the scenes just to save battery life. Uh, and when it hears a frame that it has to wake up for, it's going to start consuming more power. Hmm. Another point that you raised here that I think is directly related to this battery thing is um, MDNS running over IPv4 and IPv6. So you end up with double the traffic in some cases, right? Yeah. So... Um, uh, the folks from the IPv6 buzz would certainly be happy to hear that uh, about 50% of all the, the frames that I captured were IPv6 for MDNS. So MDNS is using both V4 and V6. 
that's actually recommended by the RFC to to run that dual stack. Um, so it's not just you're receiving an IPv4 frame, you're also receiving the same data over IPv6. So pretty much for every MDNS packet that's sent out, there's actually two of them. <laughs> okay. So it's it's not just that it's bad, it's that it's even worse. Than it's even it worse. <laughs> uh, well, another way that this was reflected, Brian, one of the graphs that really stood out to me in your presentation showed airtime and you had a graph that showed airtime before and then an air uh the airtime utilization graph after you took the filters off and it was quite a contrast yeah so during the the before analysis the airtime just of the the normal traffic load on the network was somewhere between you know, let's say 20 to 50 percent depending on the channel and the number of devices uh but as soon as i flipped the switch and allowed the MDNS and all the other peer-to-peer -peer traffic, it completely peaked at 100%. It totally 100% maxed out, could not cram another frame into the air if you tried. I, I just, I can't get over that. Okay. That's, yeah. it just seems, uh, in fairness, even a lot of enterprise networks, but you, you have a big wireless LAN with an awful lot of clients on it. Um, you know, 400 plus APs and 1,500 uh, client devices. That's a lot of that's a lot of radios out there that are contending for airtime, and uh, and I'm assuming the cells are. I'm assuming you've optimized the the cell size. There's not too much overlap, but there's still going to be overlap where these guys can see each other and they're you know sharing airspace and contending for the same airtime. Um, but even so, the average enterprise is going to be dealing with this problem, are they not? If they're allowing the traffic, yeah, it's it's not, and it's not just one AP is broadcasting this out as you would have at home. It's every single radio is broadcasting it out. So if I have an access point that receives an IPv4 MDNS frame from a client, it's going to broadcast that out itself, but it's also going to send it out over the wire to all the other APs on the network, and every other AP is going to broadcast that frame out. Now, right. a lot of APs... Now, to make it even more worse, a lot of APs are running dual or even tri-radio with Wi-Fi 6E. So it's going to be sent out in the 2.4 band and the 5 band and potentially the 6 gigahertz band for every AP that you have on that network. And then so, again, times 2, because it's V4 and V6. So once you start to, to see how much this compounds, it, it makes perfect sense why the airtime just it's completely it, utilized. It, it, it's a it's a a pattern very similar to a denial of service attack. You know, uh, it's an it's a sort of an amplification attack in in a, in a way. I, my iPhone in my pocket can do a DN, an MDNS uh, query, hit the AP, and then in your case, it's going to hit the other four hundred plus APs that are out there, potentially across multiple radio bands. Uh, and so, right, it's you know microseconds or milliseconds of time but times everyone else's phone doing the exact same thing and all the other IoT mm -hmm. devices doing the doing their announcements you end up with the experience that you had during your test of basically an unusable Wi-Fi network. Yep. I'm just doing some quick math here. So if I have 1500 clients on my network, 400 APs and each client sends out an MDNS announcement in V4 and V6 then times my 400 APs times two for dual band 
2.4 million packets if every single one of my clients is just sending out a single announcement. <sighs> it's frightening. Yeah. And there, there's, a, there's a reason that I, I, I recommend that enterprises do whatever they can to block or engineer this traffic out of their systems. Again, it works great for consumer. It works great for small business. It makes discovery so simple of your devices on your network. But at scale, it does not scale. Well, okay. So let's dig into that. Let's let's dig into how to actually engineer my wireless network to deal with this problem. Uh, and I'll start with the obvious objection is that uh, my users, they probably expect their IoT stuff to, to just work if they bring it into the workplace. So is there a network architecture that prevents MDNS from, from running wild while also offering the it just works experience? So uh, a lot of vendors will say yes. Uh, there are solutions out there. You may have heard of Bonjour gateways or MDNS gateways. That is one solution whereby you can block MDNS traffic except for just the traffic you want to announce. So say you have uh, a printer in the office and it's connected to a hardwired jack and it's on one subnet. You can have your MDNS gateway listen for that printer's announcements and then rebroadcast it over the wireless subnet. So that way your client devices can discover the printer as if they were at home, you know, across subnet even. But then you can still block all of the announcements between all the client devices. So if you go to say, you know, hey, I want to print, I want to print to a printer on my network, you would still be able to find the printer you're offering, but not see all the advertisements from everybody else. Um, one yeah. of the things that I, I one of the things I, I use to to explain this to to users on my network is like, hey, you know, why why doesn't my Chromecast work? Well, how does Chromecast work? You know, if you're at home, you say I want to cast this to my TV. You know, if you've got two TVs, you might have two devices show up on on the list on your smartphone. But at enterprise scale, if this traffic was all being permitted, I say, hey, I want to cast this to my TV. Well, suddenly you would see 4,000 other Chromecast devices appear in that list. Mm. You know, every student in every dorm with a Chromecast, which one are you casting to? You know, somebody could start casting media to your TV instead, you know. Mm. So it's not just a performance issue. It's also a bit of a, a security issue as well. You don't want to be announcing services to people that you don't intend to have access to them. Uh, that's interesting. There's uh, some hotels uh, that have a, a similar kind of solution where you can cast to the TV that's in your room. You don't see mm -hmm. anybody else's room somehow. Uh, so I'm assuming it's it's uh, it's a gateway and they're doing some filtering there to to enforce however that's happening, which is interesting uh, because how do they know what room you're in and all that stuff? There's got to be some a little bit of magic going on there. but Yeah, de definitely some secret sauce poured all over that. Um, and, you know, for hotels, they've obviously gotten it to a point where it works. It provides an at-home-like experience. But honestly, how well does that work if you're a hotel guest and you actually try to stream something to the TV in your hotel room? I've only had it happen or I've only had that service offered to me in one particular hotel room. And I will say for the, I don't know, two or three nights I was there, it worked fine. I was able to cast things okay. from my iPad to the screen and it, it worked you know, consistently. I wish I could remember there's some of the details about how the service worked to uh, make sure I'm not 
misremembering what the what the experience was. But yeah, it was a service that I was connected to the hotel Wi-Fi, and that TV showed up, and there was a menu that told me, okay, if you want to cast to this TV, here's the service you're looking for, and it was the only one that appeared uh, in when I went to uh, to cast. So you know, anyway, uh, that was kind. Of- Kind of a side issue, but an interesting corner case of. Uh, I'm curious how they were doing that because it's got to be yeah. tied to exactly what you're describing here with uh, with a Bonshire Gateway and this filtering. And, and to be clear, it, it is a filter. It's not a proxy. We're not you know, the AP is not acting as a as a relay or a proxy. It's just filtering which MDNS messages are allowed through. Uh, well, it, it, sometimes it's both. So with a Bonjour Gateway, it will actually act as a sort of a proxy or a repeater especially if you're going cross subnet. Um, I won't claim to be an expert in how the hotel solutions work, but almost definitely they're using a Bonjour gateway of some sort uh, along with IGMP snooping or some sort of um, access control list that says, all right, Ethan's in this room. This AP is in this room. Let's allow that traffic. Mm. Uh, If your solution at, Dartmouth, you are you doing some kind of Bonjour Gateway for for limited solu- uh, limited services that you're allowing through, or do you guys just completely block MDNS entirely? We we completely block it on the wireless network. Uh, we do allow it on the wired network because you know there's not air, any airtime contention there. The number of wired clients we have is far less than the number of wireless. And we're also not offering any services via MDNS. You know, we we run proper DNS servers. If you want to print to something, well, look it up by its proper DNS hostname, not by an automatic discovery. Okay. Well, wh- so what what are the trade offs then by blocking MDNS in your case? Is it simply the convenience, or there are there other trade offs too? Uh, it's mostly about convenience. Um, you you don't you don't have to register your devices in. The proper DNS server, you know, you can just say, "Hey, I'm looking for Ethan's iPhone dot local," and it would resolve via MDNS. So we block that. We don't we don't encourage anyone to use that feature. Because um, as as you've seen, if we were to turn it on, it just becomes unsustainable. Mm, yeah. You also mentioned IGMP. Is that a standard part of your? deployment where you've got IGMP running everywhere so that you've got a a bit more control of where the multicast traffic is being rebroadcast to? Well, so we're we're blocking it at the access point. So once mm-hmm. it once it ingresses the access points radio, it's being dropped right there. Uh, so we're not we're not relying on any additional upstream filtering or IGMP snooping to kind of intelligently direct this traffic. We just block it on ingress. So there'd be no point in deploying IGMP because what, what there's, there's no multicast groups you're supporting, at least in the MDNS context. Yeah. So if you're an enterprise and you really want to filter out the MDNS traffic and clean up your airtime as much as possible, try and block the MDNS at the source. If all of your wireless client devices are managed or enrolled in some sort of MDM or domain, you can just go and shut off MDNS within the client operating system. Then that way you don't even have to drop it on ingress. The client devices aren't using up any airtime to announce their traffic. You're just stopping it from happening to begin with. Hmm. Do, do you, well, in a college setting, I'm imagining it's mostly you know, BYOD, so you probably don't have that option. Yeah, I, I'd say we're we're at least seventy five percent BYOD. We 
don't have the option to block it at the client device. So filtering it at the access point on ingress is the best we can do. Yeah. Okay. Does wireless QoS help us at all? Um, and I'm thinking here, like if, with the right mark, can you deprioritize MDNS traffic during times of congestion? Would that help anything? It certainly would. So uh, the wireless multimedia extensions, wireless QoS, uh, the the traffic schedulers in the Wi-Fi devices will actually say, hey, this is a low priority packet. Let's let's kind of buffer this and transmit it when the medium's a little more idle. Um, I'm horribly glossing over how that coordination function it, it's actually a, it's works. It's a time back off thing. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's got a, a random back off timer and it says, all right, this low priority traffic, I'll eventually get it out onto the air. Uh, that does make things better, except in my testing, I actually found that uh, especially Apple devices, they're marking their MDNS traffic as voice priority. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> which completely defeats the entire purpose of wireless QoS. Um, so voice priority wireless QoS is the highest priority. It, it doesn't get any higher than that. So it's it's going to be taking up the airtime as soon as that packet's ready to transmit. Um, on the wire, I've seen MDNS traffic marked as network control. Because although technically, I guess, DNS is related to keeping the network operations functioning, there's there's no reason it needs to be marked as CS6. It, the RFC for MDNS actually says, no, this shouldn't be marked anything higher than best effort. But in, in defense, in Apple's logic here, though, what they want is that guarantee of user experience. So they just, they just want the MDNS to work. And so they're they, arguing, just get that frame out the door so that it shows up in whatever the app is the person's looking at on the other end. Yeah. So when you pop open the, I want to print to dropdown list, that list gets populated as fast as possible. It makes their products look really slick and really fast at the expense of utilizing your network. So if okay. anybody from Apple's listening, you might want to reconsider that. <laughs> they might be listening, Brian, but are they going to listen to you? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Brian, any other tri uh, tips and tricks that you might have for folks that are running uh, enterprise Wi-Fi and, uh, and ways to improve their life regarding MDNS? Try to set expectations with your users. Um, you know, running a college campus, I, I get probably a dozen formal tickets from people saying, hey, why doesn't this product work in my dorm room? And I'll take an honest look at it and look up the data sheet and say, it doesn't work because it requires MDNS or it requires peer-to-peer -peer traffic, um, which isn't a great answer to a student. But then I, I try and, and use one of the metaphors where if I allow it for you, it's gonna be allowed for everybody. And then suddenly other people might have control of your light bulb or your printer or your TV. Um, it's it's really a different architecture at enterprise scale, and and that's that's where I try to convey the difference. It's like, hey, you know, the, you're not on your home network. You know, this isn't this isn't Kansas anymore. You're you're at a large scale enterprise network, and things just don't function the way they do at home. Um, 
Now, some vendors' products have come up with other clever ways to do discovery that don't involve multicast. You know, they're cloud connected and mediated through some other server. Those work just fine. It's all unicast and it doesn't rely on any local network discovery. But sadly, the vast majority of consumer devices do assume you have, you know, local layer two adjacency. Now, every enterprise Wi-Fi solution that's out there, there's uh, Mist and Aruba and uh, Cisco and and whoever else is a lengthy list mm-hmm. of them. Bones your yes. gateways, MDNS filtering, and so on. That's all standard stuff. That's part and parcel of what you're getting in the bundle, right? Yeah. A- any of the major players in, in the enterprise Wi-Fi business are going to have those features. They're all going to work slightly differently from each other. The terminology might be a little different. Whether or not they work at scale is another story. Uh, I've heard some success stories. I've also heard some failure stories with with trying to use Bonjour gateways. But again, don't don't try to use a Bonjour gateway for something it wasn't designed to do. You know, a Bonjour gateway is about announcing the services you are offering. It's not about trying to optimize MDNS traffic for announcements generated by your users. Got it. Well, Brian, it's a great discussion, man. This was fascinating. I love that they let you go for uh, an hour, and after only an hour, the network was essentially unusable. You know, for that for that amount of time, yeah, that is it, uh, that is really startling. Now, if people want to find your presentation, uh, get in contact with you, and so on. I know you mentioned it at the top of the show, but mention it again. Where can people get a hold of you, Brian? Sure. Uh, I, I do blog occasionally. This uh, The presentation that I've been talking about is available on my blog. Uh, it's brianward.net slash go slash MDNS, B-R-Y-A-N-W-A-R-D.net. Uh, I'm also still on that bird app. You can find me at underscore Brian underscore Ward underscore. Uh, I was not an original gen user, so hence the extraneous punctuation there. Um, I'm also available in various Slack communities, including the Packet Pushers Slack. So if you want to reach out to me, find me there by name, shoot me a message, and I'll try and get back to you. Great stuff. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today on heavy networking. And uh, and you out there listening, my thanks to you for making it all the way to the end. You are an excellent human. A quick reminder that there is more free technical content and community for you from Packet Pushers. As Brian just mentioned, you can head up to packetpushers.net to find our Slack group. Uh, We also have a weekly newsletter. We have tech articles up there, as well as our entire lineup of podcasts, including Full Stack Journey, uh, Network Break, Kubernetes Unpacked, Tech Bytes, IPv6 Buzz, Day 2 Cloud, and Heavy Strategy. All that is free. There's no reg wall, no registration required to consume any of that. It's all free for you. Just go get it. If you're into social stuff, uh, Twitter, we're at Packet Pushers, and we are also on LinkedIn. Give us a follow if you like. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.